I'm here today to talk about Hollywood. For a while it looked like we were winning. In the summer of 08 we had a run of excellent blockbusters acclaimed by audiences and critics alike. The Dark Knight, Iron Man, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Hancock, Prince Caspian, Cloverfield, The Incredible Hulk, Speed Racer, Wall-E and Kung Fu Panda. We were simply spoilt for choice. Big pictures were finally evolving away from the brain-dead FX showcases of previous years, and we were being provided with quality actors rather than just the pretty people du jour, and the directors who cut their teeth on intelligent indie fare instead of music videos. Then two things happened that changed the way the system was evolving. The writer's strike and the economic slump. The strike, which went on for too many agonising months, cut current series of our favourite TV shows in half and left them struggling to regain their pace. Some say many never recovered. It's also left us with a slew of cheap, shitty films thrown together in the absence of writing, which still sold to an entertainment-starved audience, sending the message that maybe good writing wasn't all that necessary. Since then, standards have measurably slipped. The economic slump had hit producers hard, and the box office takings of each picture suddenly became crucial, because everyone was fixated on the now and not the later. If something wasn't performing to sometimes ridiculous expectations, it was cut loose. This led to the stalling of the Narnia pictures and the death of Pullman's Dark Materials trilogy, the first film of which appeared to be constructed with one eye on the bottom line. The studio going so far as to deny us an ending, instead using it as bait for a sequel, which will now never happen. That studio was New Line, and this method of treating an art form purely as a business metric has led to bitter disputes between their creative minds they hired and the men with their hands on the purse strings. Production on The Hobbit has been nothing but troubled as the Tolkien Estate, New Line and MGM all vied for their piece of the pie. Eventually, director Guillermo del Toro quit the project after giving two years of his life with no sign of amicable proceedings in sight. This happened only a few weeks ago and it affected me very deeply. After seeing The Lord of the Rings and falling madly in love with the spirit of the project, the sheer hard-working joy displayed by the actors and crew in the documentaries... I decided that all I wanted to do was be part of a similar team. I wanted to direct small independent pictures until I was skilled enough to court that sort of grand-scale production. I wanted to work with bright, enthusiastic, dedicated people on a long and gruelling journey, the end result being something even half as affecting and life-changing as the Lord of the Rings movies. Over the years I began to scale it down a bit. Just to be present would be good enough. The director of photography, a bit-part actor, the boy who makes the tea, anything... But if one of my all-time heroes, Guillermo del Toro, the man behind Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy and the Devil's Backbone, could land my all-time most wanted career point, if that incredible, fortuitous set of circumstances could come to pass, yet after years of bickering he found himself dropping out without a shot filmed, what does that say for my chances? I will never be as talented as del Toro or Jackson... My problem is that I try to be a jack-of-all-trades and thus I excel at nothing, but if Del Toro can't stand the way the system works, I'm fucked. And I need to stop dreaming of a world where this is possible. In reality, one of the directors under the consideration as Del Toro's replacement is Brett Ratner, a man with no imagination, skill or talent, and a man who made two needless sequels to Rush Hour, an utterly unmemorable alternative to Manhunter in the shape of Red Dragon, and the complete fucking travesty that was X-Men 3. That he is still working today is largely down to his skill at appealing to the lowest common denominator. His films are shit, but they make twice what they cost. I'm losing hope, people. If this is the world we live in, I'm not sure I want to leave my house anymore. 
The mediocrity demons are running amok and playing fast and loose with our cherished memories, and the creators we should be universally championing are being beaten down, marginalised, or worst of all, ignored. to the economic situation and writer's strike, the product of one too many panicked boardroom sessions was thus. Well, James Cameron's working on that Avatar picture in 3D. We could do that. And so a whole slew of pictures were augmented in production with the new term, now in 3D. Now, my thoughts on this particular issue are well documented, but I'll clarify them here. I'm with Mark Kermode on this one. On watching Toy Story 3 grudgingly in 3D, he found that after a time he became immersed in the story and forgot it was 3D until afterwards. At its best, the effect was utilised subtly enough to not have a noticeable impact. His subsequent query was simple. If the best 3D films, i.e. the ones that were designed specifically with 3D pictures in mind, can entertain you to the point that you don't notice the 3D, then what's the point? If the shabby ones that have that pop-up book-style 3D tech retrofitted to them just make you wish it was 2D, then again, what's the point? A fantastic story will remain fantastic if it's in 3D, 2D, comic book or spoken word. That is what we should be striving towards. Avatar and Toy Story 3 work perfectly well in 2D because of the craftsmanship involved in making them. Kermode doesn't believe people woke up one day and wanted films in 3D. He believes the studios told us we wanted 3D and then manufactured films to meet the manufactured demand. And by and large, we lap it up. You can't argue with results. Most recent 3D movies have had huge turnouts with the meagre 2D showings betraying justifiably sparse audiences. It's important to note that those audiences are made up of the percentage of people who get headaches or nausea spells while watching 3D or resent the loss of engagement that comes with the loss of colour saturation, brightness and the detail that the effect necessitates and yet still want to see the movie. I'm in the minority with them and it looks like the general public are not about to demand 2D back again anytime soon as I'd hoped. The best way I can define it is by asking you to imagine a burger chain. Over the summer, this burger chain got wind that people were staying home and barbecuing their own burgers, rather than going out to restaurants to eat. Desperate for ideas, and rather than put their effort into making a truly phenomenal burger with premium quality ingredients, they instead chose to employ a tactic from the 50s and just market half-assed versions of their old burgers, but this time with a layer of marshmallow fluff. They convinced the world that this marshmallow fluff was super special and would revolutionise the way we eat burgers. Of course, we all have to pay an extra quid or so for the fluff, as that stuff's expensive. Now, every burger has it. And if you ask them very nicely, they will grudgingly make the small minority who feel sick when they eat these grotty new burgers a version without the fluff. But you have to get there fast. Some of the brighter sparks in these restaurants are able to really think about what will complement the fluff so they combine other flavours and create a really interesting new burger where well, you can't actually taste the fluff, but you know it's there. But by and large, it looks like not only is fluff here to stay, but people have started thinking about buying big-ass jars for home use. But look at why the studios went 3D in the first place. They needed to offer punters something they couldn't get at home, and crucially, on dodgy pirate DVDs and downloads. I've spoken with a few friends who shall remain totally nameless, and who almost proudly proclaim that they've watched the latest releases on illegal download. 
When asked if they would instead buy a simultaneous DVD release, they shrug and shake their heads. To a great deal of people, paying money to see movies at all is no longer something they do. 3D in theaters will not bring those people in to see all of these movies. Maybe a few of them, like Iron Man 2. But by and large, there's just a sense of lack of value in films, no matter how many dimensions they're in. Bottom line: Why pay ten pounds to see a film if you can see it for free? Spectacle just doesn't matter to some people. And while I refuse to condone piracy, I will wait for the Blu-ray. I just bought *The Princess and the Frog* online for slightly less than the price it would have cost me to take my family to see it a few months ago. The cost of home entertainment is lower now than it's ever been, and the visual and audio quality is at its highest. So honestly, with all of this other stream of revenue effectively cannibalizing their primary source of income, how can Hollywood really still be expecting us to pay so much for so little? This is, of course, why 3D was brought into play. But the plans afoot to bring it to our homes will put us right back at square one, and it's not going to take the pirates long to figure out how to crack the code. That's all they do. One point of interest in all this will be, of course, 3D gaming, which has yet to prove itself at home, but probably has the better chance than movies of immersing me. At present, I remain cautiously optimistic. The industry is going through a period of irrevocable change. What we're experiencing is studios stubbornly insisting on the way it ought to be, while it slips in a different direction entirely. Distribution of film prints will eventually go digital, so that will cut down the cost of shipping each heavy reel to and from the cinema. At this stage, they absolutely must pass that saving on to us, the viewer. Trust in Hollywood. Finally. And in a way that comes around to our traditional subject, I would like to address the anti-video games Hollywood conspiracy. Ask yourself why the director of Romeo Must Die was given the most recent Street Fighter movie, why Uwe Boll was allowed to direct a second film based on a game, let alone an eighth, why Agent Forty Seven behaved in a manner that would have earned him a butcher rating, and why the Halo movie never got off the ground. As much flack as I received over my summation of Shadow of the Colossus, I loved the story. And I can see the possibility of a fantastic and affecting anime being made, maybe some sort of rotoscoped watercolor picture. So why? We all may ask: Is Justin Marks, the writer of the aforementioned Street Fighter: The Legend of Chun Li, on writing duties? I had the misfortune of seeing Gamer the other day. I think it's safe to say that if anybody out there listening to me has self-respect, an IQ over forty, and enjoys a game or two, you'll most likely be rather offended by this hideous portrait of the near future, as seen through the eyes of Daily Mail readers. Real-life death matches are apparently all the rage in the world of not too many years from now, with baying fans of all walks of life condoning the slaughter. But far worse are the social networking games. Their version of Second Life introduced us to the most repulsive caricature of a drooling, obese shut-in controlling a real-life female avatar and purposefully marching her leering, winking, delicate form into all sorts of rapey situations, while stroking his quivering belly in excitement. The movie is about as irresponsible as it gets, and I'd suggest that director Mark Neveldine, who also gave us the rather good Crank and its rather awful sequel, first attempts to regrow that sense of humour he used to have, and then reassesses who he's making films for. 
because he's doing nothing to further the cause of broadening acceptance of gaming. In fact, the whole thing came off like one of those propaganda films from the 30s, like Reefer Madness, in which a single joint leads to an attempted rape, manslaughter and suicide. But crucially, someone greenlit that project. And when it was finished, someone considered it worthy of release. There is simply no other explanation for it. Hollywood is terrified that people will catch on that there's more to this video gaming lark than tits, shotguns and zombies. All great things, but we're looking for prestige here, people. Imagine a world where Halo got made. Not just made, but produced by Peter Jackson, directed by Guillermo del Toro or District 9's Neil Blomkamp, and made to the high standards that Microsoft insisted upon. I personally don't believe that the summer afterwards the movie theatres would be ghost towns because all the punters were off playing Halo Reach, but clearly some people do. Tinfoil hats off. Out there is a world outside of Yonkers Way out there beyond this hick town, Barnaby There's a slick town, Barnaby The bottom line, and this applies to all mediums, I'm going to give you my favourite quote from John Lasseter. The man who gave us Toy Story, headed up Pixar, and now keeps Disney on the straight and narrow after the Michael Eisner years as their chief creative officer. And this quote applies to films in 3D or 2D and games of all kinds. It's a secret that I wish more people in charge would understand, and it's the reason why Pixar are the greatest studio in the world, and why their movies would still be fantastic in 6D. You ready? Quality is the best business plan. See you next week. One of those new horse-drawn open cars. We'll see the shows at Delmonico's, and we'll close the town in a world. And we'll